Today, I'm going to be going through part two of the ancient masculine path, a view of growing in maturity that all men must go through. I believe that is taught in scripture. You want to stay tuned to hear the rest. Welcome to the Kindling Fire. My name is Troy Mangum. God is preaching a sermon to the world through people's lives. People's experience, history, and testimonies all point to some amazing attribute of God that you too can experience. I interview revolutionaries, fire starters, and troublemakers. This podcast is here to be a voice of encouragement in your life. A voice that says, with God you can, and with God you will step into the abundant life. So let's get rolling. Hey guys, welcome back to The Kindling Fire. I'm excited to complete the podcast, The Ancient Masculine Path. I'm going to be going through the second four items, trailblazes to keep you on the path or prepare you for the next milestone. I'll be doing a quick overview of what I shared in part one. So, being loved, walking in community, what's that thing in between? What's the thing that gets you ready to walk in community? It is called honesty. Now, honesty is an ancient path. Uh, you guys have heard when David sinned with Bathsheba and kind of fell into that whole deal. There's this beautiful verse in Psalm 51. Here we go, verse 6. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Honesty is about truth in the inner parts. This is the stuff when you stand before God, you know that you know that you know that you're being honest. But a lot of times with men, we want to be perceived a certain way. And so the alternative that Satan is always offering is the poser or the liar. Honesty or you are at some point a liar presenting information or presenting yourself as not true or not being true. So what when um, again back to David's story, when he was when he sinned with Bathsheba, um, you know he, God sent a prophet to him named Nathan. He told him this very compelling story which I won't get into. but basically it got David so riled up, uh, about the injustice of this guy that he was telling this story about. And then the prophet turned it on and said, the man you're upset about is you. And he turned it on him very quickly. And, and God will do that. If you are caught in a cycle of lying for whatever reason, in any way, could it be, it could be around pornography, it could be around uh, your income, it could be around um, your background, your connections, it could be overselling yourself uh, as far as what you're capable of, but you have no experience, you know, just all kinds of, we lie all the time, can, not all the time. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's not a foregone, by God's grace, you can stop lying and be honest 100% of the time. So I don't want to make that statement that, oh, everybody lies. That's not true. Um, so when Nathan confronted David, what was God after in David's heart? He was after that, that verse. He says, surely you desire truth in the inmost part. God was after truth and honesty 
in David's heart because David was lying to himself. He wasn't even being honest with himself. Let me give you another example. Jesus, um, after he resurrected, he confronts Peter, who was a liar, who said, I would follow you and I will die for you. And then when you give him the first opportunity, he doesn't follow him and he doesn't die for him. And he lies that he even knows Jesus. So he's like clearly cowardice and uh, is boastful in his language and, and just weak in his uh, actions. And so Jesus knows this about Peter. And so Peter, and so he comes to Peter and he, and he tenderly and lovingly says, and actually in a very confrontive way, tender but confrontive, do you love me? And, you know, Peter was like, you know, I love you. Well, it's really interesting when you dig into the the Greek of that whole interchange, and I think that's in John twenty one or two, uh, towards the end of the chapter, um, a book. He uses every time that Jesus says, "Do you love me?" He uses the word agape, which is sort of like the most pure form of love. It is God's love, agape. So he says, "Peter, do you?" agape me. Do you love me like God? And Peter responds, his first response is, Lord, you know I love you like a friend, which is phileo. And then he asked him again, do you love me like God? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you like a friend. And then he asked him a third time, but he changes what he says. And he says, Peter, do you truly love me like a friend? And he says, Lord, you know all things. He said that at the third time, not the second time. And he says, you know, I love you like a friend. And so finally they got to the point where they were speaking and he, Peter, was speaking honestly to Jesus. And Jesus said, okay, we can start there. Let's start with honesty and then we'll get to the point where you can love me like agape, which he eventually did when he gave his life. So let's talk about a couple other things about honesty. Man, there's this a big topic. And to be honest, many people, many men love to lie. They're hiding. They are in the garden hiding. They don't want to be fully seen and known. So why is honesty come before community? Because you cannot have community lying and hiding. So God wants you to be honest so that he can provide you brothers and sisters mostly brothers that you can trust, rely on, that has your six, and will watch over you. So let's go to James. This is James 5.16. And in James 5.16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is uh, powerful and effective. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. You know, um, you do not confess. Um, you have to be honest. Like confession is another way of saying, tell the truth. And you have to be honest with others when you tell the truth. To be able to obey this scripture as it relates to getting ready for community, you have to be honest. Let me uh, give you another verse. Well, it looks like I've written it down. So it's Proverbs 11, 1, and it says, The Lord hates dishonest scales, but he's pleased with honest weights. You know, back in the day, the way that they would uh, measure the integrity of a business transaction, are you giving me what 
uh, I'm paying for is they would use weights and then maybe it's a, a food and they would weigh it and and but what they would do is dishonest uh, business people would would um, the weights they they would counterweight so it would look like it measures out but the actual weights are lies and so when it would measure that would be called the Lord hates dishonest scales so they would be lying to the people saying you are definitely getting a pound of barley when in fact they'd be getting three fourths of a pound which means they were lying directly to their face telling them they're getting a pound. And that's one of the ways that he says he hates that, that he's pleased with honest weights, people that do things with integrity. Um, so, so I don't want to, you know, keep on the keep on the heat here, but I just want to say this: if you are a liar and you're listening to this podcast, there's hope. How do I know that? If if God restored a liar, clearly a liar, a liar to others and a liar to himself, like Peter. He can restore you too. He was a liar, but he was self-deceived when he said, I will follow you to the death. Um, but I'm going to be honest with you, and this is through my own experience. Be warned, God may force you via circumstances to tell the truth. So if he calls you to tell the truth, but if you say, I'm going to keep hiding, you will find that in his mercy, he will expose your sin and he will expose the lie, and he will do that so that you are forced to tell the truth. And it will not kill you. I've been in this situation where I've been, quote-unquote, exposed. I've been in situations where I didn't want to tell the truth. And God, through circumstances and love, forced me into the light where I had to tell the naked truth. And God will do the same for you if you want to stay in and notice where this falls again, being loved. When I was exposed as a liar and I was struggling with honesty, I had the foundation, God loves me. He's not trying to destroy me. He's trying to do good to me. All things were together for good for those who love the Lord and been called according to his purposes. So I could finally be honest because I was loved and I was ready for, for being a community. And the most intimate community is your own family. If you have a family. So last thing I'll say about honesty is God don't play. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira and Acts were lying and um, and God knew it. And uh, but others people didn't know it. And and I think it was one of the disciples that that kind of called him out on it. And then God struck him dead. I'm not saying that God's going to strike you dead, but God doesn't play. Lying is serious business. And what they were trying to do is people at the time were giving their 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 money and their things uh, to others. And there was a lot of accolades for being generous in the church. So they wanted to appear to be like them when in fact they were not the real deal. And they were keeping a huge portion of the profits to themselves. And then they said, this is what we got. And they were asked one question by the disciples. And he says, is this everything you received for the land? And they said, yes, it is. And it was a bold-faced lie because they knew they had more than half the stuff stashed away. And he said, "Is and then the, he got a word of knowledge and says, is it not so that you have more than half stashed away? May God judge you. And they both died immediately. So, I mean, I'm just saying honesty is key. All right, last thing I'll say is Luke 8, 17. And this is Jesus's words. And they are sobering, but um, you need to hear them. There's nothing that is hidden 
that will not be disclosed. There is nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Best to be honest, except in, uh, instead of God exposing you in his love. It is best to be honest. All right, enough on that one. Let's go to the next one. So what is the next ancient path? The next ancient path on our masculine journey is writing. It's kind of an odd one, writing. So so I want to show you something, and I'll be right back. I just got to grab something. I uh, love my grandpa, and uh, he was a professor and a scholar and uh, many things, and a farmer and a hunter, and he was a fascinating uh, man. He was on my Indian side of my family, Native American. See this book right here? When a Man Comes to Himself, Woodrow Wilson. I got some of his books from his library. I have books in my library from him that are over 100 years old. Is that not insane? Over a hundred years old. Let me see what this one was was published. Uh, oh. <laughs> this book that you're looking at, if you can see me on YouTube, by Woodrow Wilson, was published in 1901. 1901. So let's talk about this for a minute. I get to read the books that inspired my grandpa. That's pretty epic, right? You know, he is in my heritage. I'm, you know, the next generation down, and I get to read the books that inspired him. You know, everybody is so um, spun up about the, the, I mean, publishers, you know, people, individuals, entrepreneurs, about your social reach, right? How are you doing on TikTok? That's the latest thing. How are you doing? How many followers you got? Your news feeds. Uh, how well is your song doing? How many listens? your social media posts and how well they do, uh, YouTube videos and how well they do. Let me tell you something. Uh, you want to, for the ancient masculine path, you want to go for long things that, that uh, have longevity, not what I call the five-minute hype, which means you're here today, you're sexy today, you're interesting today, you're famous today, and you are a blip, and you are gone tomorrow, and there's nothing to show for anything that you've done. Just think of any of the amazing videos or social media posts or God knows, uh, TikTok feeds if you watch that or whatever, that you're like referring to a year from now, referring to from two years ago. That stuff is in your heart or in your mind or through your eyes and you're like, man, that is amazing and you freaking forgot about it 60 seconds later. That is a blip. And if you want to, if if you want to follow the ancient masculine path, you don't major on things that will stay in someone's heart for less than sixty seconds. That's just that's my opinion on that one. So John twenty one twenty five, this is what um, John was writing. He said Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Notice, obviously, there was no YouTube, there was no media, there was, not that I'm against all that stuff, but you just need to prioritize your, your um, you need to prioritize. And one of the ancient masculine past is writing. Writing 
has the ability to last. And um, man, I'm, I'm, let me just show you one other thing. I'm just like really distracted today, but let me just show you one other thing. Hold on. Okay, if you're on YouTube, you can see this. You see this right here? This is about 22 years of history between me and God. 22 years. I can go back in my life, my faith walk with Jesus, almost 22 years and say, what was I thinking and what was God saying to me when I was 30? What was God saying to me when I was 34? What was God saying to me? You know, this, I'm telling you what, and I, and sometimes I do refer back and, uh, as the Lord directs, but, and we'll get into sort of the quality of what you write and the content of what you write. But right now, what I'm trying to convince you of is writing has history. Writing matters, especially if you're a dad and you want to leave stuff to your kids, write it down. So let me, let me, uh, Give me another scripture about the importance of writing. So this is from Nehemiah. This is going to be, man, picking up all those journals wore me out. This is uh, Nehemiah uh, 938. 938. So it says, they just read through what, what had happened right before this verse is they had discovered some ancient text, Old Testament text, and they were reading, the priests were re reading them, and they were getting deeply convicted. And, 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 it's, and, uh, and it said in verse 38, 938, it says, In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement to God, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, our priests are affixing their seal to it. So basically, in response to what God was showing them by revelation through the written word of God, the Bible, or the Old Testament, or the sacred scribes, or the what I don't even know what they would have called them at that time, but it's basically our Old Testament, they responded by putting a commitment in writing. So they were committing themselves to writing. Let's keep on going. Um, when God shows you something, he wants you to write it down. This is Habakkuk 2 and 3. And it says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits an appointed time, and it hastens to the end, and it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, and it will not delay. Uh, note that he's saying you write it down so that people who read it can be inspired with it, can do something with it, and can run with it. And then it also talks about if you're waiting, if there's a season of waiting between when God speaks and when he delivers, you can you can encourage your faith by going back and saying, this is what God says, even though it's been a year or two or 10 or five or five months or whatever. Um, let me, let's talk about the Psalms for a minute. Love the Bible. The Bible's awesome. You know, the Psalms, you can think of the Psalms as David's journals. They're David's journals. He wrote very honestly. 
um, he it's almost like his writing helped him work out his emotions because sometimes his emotions are like, ah, you know, like smite him, God, you know, like go get him, like get my enemies. And, and then he'll end with, you know, this yielded heart, praising God and and opening up his life to whatever God wills. And and so he it was him working on his emotions and his thoughts about God and life and others. And um, so that that's a good example of the power of writing because you can kind of think yourself into a black hole, but sometimes writing can start to provide a way for God to provide light. And this is actually something very pivotal regarding what you write. Um, there was a uh, podcast recently that I promoted on my Instagram uh, by a friend of mine named Jeff Zog. He runs a podcast called da- um, Dad's Dad Awesome. And he had Ken Helser on. And Ken Helser is a, a friend of mine, and he's been on the show. And um, he's just a saint. That's the only way I can describe him. He's a saint. Um, but part two of that podcast is all, one of the big topics is about journaling the voice of God in the morning. And if you are interested in what to write, what should I write when I write in my journals? Um, it's you should write, journal the voice of God, and you should do it in the morning. God knows what's coming for you every single day, and you should give him the opportunity to speak, to give you guidance or comfort or truth, because you have no idea what that day will hold. So have, and, and one of the key, I'll just give you one piece out of that podcast that I thought was so profound. He said, you need to have faith enough to write the very first word you think God is saying, and then just let it go from there and see where it takes you. Now that may sound kind of esoteric or scary, or I don't even know, it may sound new agey to some, um, but the point is, is that God wants to communicate to you, and, and I believe that he will do it with pen in hand. Lord, what are you saying? Take enough faith, write the first thing, and just let it flow and see where it goes. You may get it wrong, but you are practicing learning and hearing the voice of God. Use other people's counsel, people that you trust, people that you respect, people that have a good godly perspective and be like, I think this is what God is saying. Can you read it and tell me how you respond to it? Um, so just on some practical things about writing, writing slows your mind down. Uh, it clarifies what it is you want to ask God for. A lot of times we live in this really confusing world and we don't even know really what we want or we think we want one thing, but the reality is we want something else. Sometimes writing slows you down enough to really get clarity on what it is you really want. Like, what are the desires of your heart? Do you even know? What is God saying to you? Do you even know? Writing helps with all of that. And so that's that's enough I'll say about writing. Now, why, why is writing where it is on the ancient masculine path? You start writing, you start getting clarity. Guess what? When you start going through trials by fire, all of a sudden now you have a tool to process with God, what am I going through? What is God saying through this struggle, through these trials by fire? It gives you an ability to stay the course and not just chuck your faith and be like, I thought God was, you know, a sugar daddy and why am I having a difficult time? Um, and if you want to, again, I kind of keep referring to part one, but trials by fire is a big one. I talk a lot about that in part one. So it gets you it gets you ready for that. Now, what is what is Satan's sort of 
counter to writing? What is he going to throw at you? No surprise distractions. And there's no better distraction than your phone, right? Or, or, or the pressures of circumstances in life. Um, writing takes, you're, it's going to take a little bit of time. It's going to take a little bit of focus. Uh, but if you really want to go along the ancient masculine path, you must start to journal. You must start to write your journey, your, the, what God's speaking to you in your journey with the Lord. All right, next one. Next one is creativity. Creativity, big topic, big topic. So, um, so job number one that God gave mankind um, was before there was sin, maybe you can think back, before there was sin, first man, his first job was um, to create. Um, and there's this thing called the law of first mention. Uh, in scripture, which means when things are first mentioned in scripture, it has a lot of weight. So what was the very first job that God gave man? It was to create. We were to be like our creator dad and create. And this was job number one before there was sin. Um, that when Eldridge came on my podcast, I think the first time he, he made this quote that I thought was so profound from his perspective. He said, when when men get their heart back, they start to discover their creativity, that it's been buried in there since childhood under wounds in their heart. Now, I'll say it again. Uh, when, when men get their heart back, they start to discover their creativity that was buried in there since childhood underneath the wounds of their heart. You know, God is a creator God. He creates out of nothing, and God wants to endue you with strength and power to create. And I don't just mean artist art, right? I mean things that you dream, like things that don't exist, that God wants to put dreams in you to create. It could be businesses, ministries, orphanages, um, you know, things that just do not exist today that God says, I want this to exist. Um, You know, uh, one of the things that... um, I mean, there's so many great examples of this in Scripture. Uh, I didn't find the reference for this, but there was a story where David basically was inquiring of the Lord. He was in a battle, like he was many times, and he was inquiring of the Lord, what is the battle strategy to overcome the enemy here? You know, give me creative solutions to this problem uh, that I haven't thought about before. And God's strategy that he gave to David was he was supposed to sneak up on the enemy's camp, just a few men, and get uh, oil lamps and scream in, 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 um, in unison all at once and smash the lamp. And it would startle the enemy so bad they would start fighting each other, which is what they did, and they killed each other. And this was God's strategy, and this is what God told David to do probably did not think of that idea like, oh yeah, this is what I think I should do. March around Jericho, I mean, give me a break. Who would have thought about that, right? So God is full of creative solutions to the issues that you have today that you got to give him an opportunity to speak those creative issues or creative solutions. Now, this is all about George Washington Carver. Uh, George Washington Carver was a very godly man and, um, and a creator. And this is about him, God, and the peanut, and so I'm going to give you a couple quotes from him, and it's just, he's just fascinating. Here's some of the quotes. When I was young, I said to God, God, 
Tell me the mystery of the universe. But God answered, That knowledge is for me alone. So I said, God, tell me the mystery of the peanut. Then God said, Well, George, that's more nearly your size. And he told me. Now I'm going to say another quote. I love that quote. God is going to reveal to us things he never revealed before if we put our hands into his. No books ever go into my laboratory. The thing I am to do, the way of doing it, are revealed to me by God. I never have to grope for methods. The methods are revealed to me the moment I am inspired to create something new. Without God to draw aside the curtain, I would be helpless. Now, what did this result in? He developed more than 300 food, industrial, and commercial products from the peanut. That's what God and George Washington Carver were up to. What's so amazing about that is the, the smallness of a peanut and the, like, what can this really do? And God said, I'll show you what it can do. 300 food, industrial, and commercial products from that little peanut, let alone peanut butter, which is freaking amazing. So um, that's about creativity. A couple more on this. Uh, why did Jesus uh, tell Peter to go and get a, get uh, money out of a fish's mouth? Why did he go and do that? Tell me he was not creative in using a very unusual way for something... Uh, God basically specializes in doing things in unusual ways. You could call it creative ways. Uh, that's just one example. Uh, I'm going to give you um, a couple more scriptures. Exodus uh, 31, 1 through 6. And it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called you Bezel, Bezelam, man, son of Urah, uh, son of her of the tribe of Judah. And I've I've called, okay, sorry, let me back up. Uh, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, see, I've called by name this guy, Belazar or something. Uh, he's the son of this person, son of this person from Judah's tribe. And I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship to create artistic designs for work of gold and in silver and in bronze, and in the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood so that he may work of all kinds of craftsmanships. And behold, I myself have appointed him, uh, along with him, this other dude that I can't pronounce his name, the son of this other guy, I can't pronounce his name, of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of those who are skillful, I have put skill so that they may make everything I have commanded you. So this guy was filled with the spirit of God for creative work like literally for creative work, straight out of Exodus. Love that. Daniel, uh, thinking again of creative work. This is Daniel 1.17. These four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Guys, you may be in some kind of setting where you need ideas, like there are struggle, you're trying to figure out solutions. And, and I'm telling you, if God can give 
um, Daniel and his four friends understanding of all kind of learning, can he not give you creative understanding of all kinds of learning to come with solutions that have never been thought of before, just like George Washington Carver in The Peanut? And so he will anoint you for the task of study and understanding, and you will be able to translate that into creative uh, ventures and tasks. And the last one is David's creativity, specifically in his musical ability and singing, drove out demons from Saul, and he did it through music. I'm telling you, the power of creativity is enormous, and it is, it is very much a key to the masculine path. So what would the devil want to counter with? Conformity. Conformity, conformity, conformity. So do it like everybody else does. God is not like everybody else. Not everybody was getting tax money out of fish's mouths. Peter was because Jesus said to go do it. I'm telling you, you follow God, you're going to be pulling money out of fish's mouths. Like in not everything, that is not conformity. That is definitely not the norm. And God is a creative God. And he is amazing. So last one, last one. All right. So this is sort of, as you go through this whole thing, oh, and let me kind of speak to why it's here. So you go through trials by fire, you get purified. Now God's going to set you up to walk by faith. He's going to be like, you know, he sent out the 12, he sent out the 72, you know, let's see what God can do, right? You know, like, let's walk out this faith and see if he really is a healer, if he really does God, if he really does financially provide, if he if he really is what he said he is, if he, if these Bible verses that I've read and what Jesus did is really, really true. There will come a time as you go through your masculine path where you, God will say, it's go time. It's time to trust me. It's time to put everything on the line. It's trying to step out in faith. And the reason why creativity is before that is because once you start thinking differently about what's possible and God starts inspiring you and maybe in other areas that maybe aren't so just faith related, it could be, I mean, there, I mean, like, I hate to say it that way, but I, I'm meaning like God gives you creative solutions for things at work or, or things in your family or a way to discipline your children or just all kinds of creativity of how to deal with that difficult neighbor and now he's saying, now I want you to give that person a word of knowledge. I want you to pray for the sick. I want you to, you know, like really, you know, step up the game. If you've already been sort of walking with God and seeing that he is involved in creative solutions, you can see that God's going to lead you and you're, you're ripe and ready to walk by faith. Now, so you've done that. You've walked by faith. What is the last stop? Health. Health is the last stop. Why is that the last stop? Because the ancient masculine past is not the ancient masculine past, not a one and done. It is a lifestyle. There's a lot of times you've heard people talk about um, uh, walking in a way that's sustainable, the sustainable fire of God, the sustainability of a lifestyle, not getting burned out, not being a one and done, not being a flash in the pan. And this is the way you do it. You do it through health. Well, what kind of health am I talking about? I'm talking about your physical health. I'm talking about what you eat. I'm talking about exercise. I'm talking about um, what you consume as food. I'm talking about um, your mental health. I'm talking about your having balance and not being way over um, over committed and burning yourself out and not getting rest and not getting sleep. Health is key to sustain the burn of God and the call of God in your life. 
All of this is amazing. But if you just let your health be like whatever, it will undermine your faith, your creativity, the way you deal with difficult times, uh, your energy level to be able to write and dedicate time to that, how you deal with people in community. I guarantee you probably start lying about sneaking those Cheetos. And then as far as like being loved, you're probably going to be like, uh, you know, you're going to be down on yourself because you're so out of whack. Right. God gave you your physical body. And I love this, uh, this quote. This is a guy named um, Eugene Sandow. And he's actually the founder of modern day bodybuilding. Uh, he's, uh, he lived from 1867 to 1925. And this is a, a quote from him. It's a powerful quote. And it says, health is a divine gift. And the care of the body is a sacred duty to neglect, which is to sin. I mean, I can't say it better than that. So I had a guy on um, the show a while ago named Robert Owens. Man, is he a character. Um, you need to definitely listen to look him up. He, was one of the, he, he has one of the most fascinating stories. Um, but anyway, one of the things that he's really notorious for is he was named the, the, the fittest 66-year-old by Triathlete Magazine in the world. Like he's run over 12 Ironmen. He's done the World Marathon, which is seven marathons in seven days in seven continents. Like he is a beast of a beast uh, physically, uh, even in his old age. And, and I, I called him about this topic and I was just asking kind of for his feedback. And I'm just going to kind of give you uh, what he told me. He said that most, <laughs> now he's a very straight talker, so I'll just tell you like he told me. Most men, Christian men, are lazy, they're undisciplined, and they don't have a, the revelation of how they're called to be role models in everything, including your health, and to lead. Um, when, G, when Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, Paul knew the responsibility to be a role model. Paul knew the discipline needed to embrace the lifestyle of a farmer or a soldier or an athlete. And he used those analogies frequently because they required diligence, discipline, training, and they required, which is a lot of what health is about. Um, most Christian men uh, are likely, they're, they're basically, they're, they're lazy, they're overindulgent, um, they're prone to gluttony. For how could they excel in a, their field lacking physical energy and discipline? Can I have a speaker? Oh my gosh, my daughter's right in the middle of my podcast. Come on, there's your speaker. There he is. All right, bye. Thanks for that. So, so anyway, um, the so that okay, back to what he was saying because I totally got they're 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 overindulgent, they're prone to gluttony. And they and he talks about how could these Christian men that are that are lazy and all these things excel in their fields, whatever God's called them to, if they're lacking physical energy and they're lacking discipline. I mean, it's a great question. So let me go to a scripture uh, that you guys have heard. It's in First uh, Corinthians six. First Corinthians six. Uh, let's see, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Come on, Corinthians. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. And it says this. 
Um, uh, flee from sexual immorality. All our sins a man commits are outside of his body, but those who sin sexually sin against their own body. And then 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And I'll read that again. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have received from God? So let's talk about the temple uh, uh, in the Old Testament for a second. The temple obviously was this incredibly ornate um, you know, place where the presence of God dwelled uh, before there was Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I mean, the temple existed when there was Jesus, but but I'm saying that it was it was the place that you would go and meet God. Now, I just read a verse about creativity where God gave this spiritual anointing to people with works of gold and wood and craftsmanship so that the image, the replication of the temple being something that exists in heaven and that was being replicated on earth could be done by skilled craftsmen anointed by God. Now, you are... The your it says the your 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 body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to imagine something. Can you imagine someone going into the temple of God, this holy holy place, and like graffitiing everywhere, taking a baseball bat and just destroying all its craftsmanship? You know, just just taking you know iron pipes and just beating the crap out of like the t uh, you know the holy of um, holies the that little Ark of the Covenant and the whole deal, like just trashing the place. Well, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the way that we honor God is a lot of times we just trash the body. We're just like, yeah, thanks for the body. Who cares? I'm going to treat it like trash. But you wouldn't do that in a sacred building where God's presence is, but you'll do it to yourself. And I'm telling you, a lot of the inconsistency of men and, and uh, kind of losing steam and, hey, I had a mountaintop moment with God and two years later, I don't even know if I believe in Him and I lack, you know, joy, I lack peace, I lack fire and vigor, I've lost my way. I'm going to tell you, a lot of that loss is it's undermined by the people's discipline and their health. Uh, so let's just keep going. Uh, let's just be very clear. Gluttony is a sin. Never heard it preached about in a sermon. But it's in the Bible, and it's a sin. It's a very so the acts of the sinful nature are obvious: envy, murder, drunkenness, gluttony. Gluttony is obviously a sin. Now, what's happened? And I've heard people say it. It's like, oh yeah, and, you know, in Roman times they would, you know, like they would eat and then they would throw up so they could eat some more. Oh, how excessive! So just because you're not throwing up at the burger bar doesn't mean you're not indulging in gluttony, just to be clear. And, and let me just I mean, go even further. Gluttony is the sin of overindulgence and excessive greed for food. In the Bible, gluttony is closely linked to the sins of drunkenness, idolatry, um, lavishness, rebellion, disobedience, laziness, and wastefulness. And uh, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 12 and 13 says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then he goes on to use views as an example. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. What's his point? Don't be mastered by food. <laughs> like That's just like super clear. Uh, keep on going. Um, Proverbs 25, 16. 
Have you found honey? Eat only what you need so that you will not do not have it in excess and vomit it up. Overindulging, even in good things that God provides, like burgers and honey, is bad. Okay? It's bad. Doing it in excess, it's, it's too much. That's what the Bible teaches. Uh, keep going. First, uh, First Corinthians 9, 27, Paul says, I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave. This is Paul saying, I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave. Let me remind you of the quote I read in the beginning. Health is a divine gift and the care of the body is a sacred duty. To neglect it, which is to sin by Eugene Sandow. Let's keep going. 1 Timothy 4.8, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. You know what this verse is not saying? And I think most people read it this way. Oh, exercise? It's useless. The Bible does not say it's useless. It says it has some value. Now, you prioritize it underneath godliness, which has value for everything. But physical training has some value. That's what the Bible teaches. It doesn't say it has no value, but most people read it that way. Um, So here's another one. If you were in a situation where God said you need to run to this other place, physically run, could you actually do it? Uh, 2 Samuel 18, 21 through 23. So Joab said to a Cushite, uh, which by the way are Ethiopians, and they're one of the most famous Ethiopian, like, long-distance runners in the world and all the Olympics, but that's a side note. So Joab said to Cushite, to a Cushite, go tell the king what you have seen. And the Cushite bowed to Joab and took off running. This guy, son of Zodok, however, persisted and said to Joab, regardless of whatever happens, may happen, please let me also run behind the Cushite. My son, Joab said, why do you want to run? Um, since you have not received, since you will not receive a reward. He, they had to go give David some bad news. No matter what, I want to run, he replied. Then run, Joab told him. So both of these young men are running miles and miles and miles to send important news to King David. And if God called you to do that, could you actually physically do it? Let's talk about Jesus for a second. Was he like out of shape? I mean, it's a great question. Was Jesus out of shape? The, uh, the reality is he walked a lot. Now, I found this in this research for this topic, and this is what it says. Jesus walked. There's a guy named Joseph Holman, author of the book, The Prosperity Clock. This is what he says. Jesus walked 3,125 miles during his ministry. Over his lifetime, a conservative estimate of the number of miles he walked was likely around 21,525 miles, almost the equivalent of walking around the entire world. Now, those stats may or may not be true, but I'll say this. Having done some hiking, walking's no joke. Walking a mile is okay. Walking 30, that's no joke. Walking 3,000, you can't be, you cannot be in terrible shape and do it. You have to be in decent physical shape. Um, and so, and let me just say really quick, because I haven't said it yet, this is not about you being thin. This is about being a healthy version of you. You may be big by nature, you may whatever, you know, but you know an unhealthy version of you and a healthy version of you, and God's calling you to a healthy version of you to bring sustainability into the fire of God and the things he's wanting to do. A couple more on health. David was quick. 
as the Philistines moved, when he was young, he said, as the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Note that he said he ran quickly, meaning he was a fast runner. That's 1 Samuel 17, 48. Modern day examples of physical and spiritual uh, combined. Uh, I had a uh, guest on the show. Uh, I think the show was called Respect the Corners with uh, Blake Castile. He runs uh, a CrossFit gym uh, for missionaries. And what they do is they trek Bibles to unreached places in the Himalayas, people that have never heard the name of Jesus, and they will trek days and miles and miles and miles in the most extreme heights to be able to reach some of the most remote villages in the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it takes physical strength to do it. Another example, Free Burma Rangers. They require, this is an organization um, in um, Myanmar as well as Iraq and other places, and they are uh, Christians that are helping provide health care and media attention to atrocities that are happening in these countries. They require physical strength to serve God there. You will do PT. You will do physical training. And you must run from bullets so you will not be killed. This is a part of what you do as a missionary in that. Uh, again, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Physical health equals emotional health equals mental health equals spiritual health. They are all connected. Uh, the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, when Jesus talked about when you fast, when you fast, uh, fasting is a natural way to cleanse the body and reduce inflammation. Let me just go through a couple things about fasting. Uh, it reduces your blood pressure. It reduces blood sugars and insulin. It's an it's an antioxidant defense. It lowers inflammation. It recycles um, good chemicals uh, in your cell. It cleans up your cells. It supports immunity. Alleviates fat burning. Um, it uh, provides neuro neuroprotection, and it's and it provides provides stress resilience. Whew. That was a lot on health, but it was an important topic. What what would Satan basically tempt you with from a health thing besides a donut? What would he, it's basically living an undisciplined, undisciplined, lazy life. That's the counter. So again, each one of these ancient masculine paths are going to have spiritual warfare. You can hear about the spiritual warfare in part one for the major milestones, but for these trailblazes, the, the temptation to lie instead of being honest, the temptation towards distraction instead of writing and focus, the temptation towards creativity, at first of uniquely standing out, I'm sorry, the temptation towards conformity and blending in and going with the crowd and group think and all that uh, versus uniquely standing out as God has created you to be creatively. And then the opposite of health would be an undisciplined, lazy life. Guys, this has been a bit of a longer podcast, but I hope that you enjoyed it. Um, I'd love to hear your feedback, and I think we're done here. So God bless you guys, and we'll see you next time. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. I am doing a YouTube channel, so we do video formats of these podcasts, and we'd love to have you look there. Okay guys, until next time, be awesome.